Oh, so good to be with you ladies. We are going to dive into this week's lesson called Ready for Battle. The Lord has been stirring this thought process up in my heart for the last few months about us being ready for battle. What does that mean? I don't know. I think that uh, oftentimes we're really good at talking about um, the love of Christ when it comes to the church. It's the love of Christ that compels people to him. We are drawn to him by that love. But I think that there are times within the body of Christ that we have allowed that love to become a selfish love rather than a selfless love. And what do I mean by that? Oftentimes our prayers become about, God, what can you do for me? How can you speak to my circumstances? God, how are you going to fix this problem in my life? God, why would you allow this to happen to me? Rather than a selfless love. That selfless love is what sent him to the cross. It's why he died for our sins. And as we are called to be like him, it is that selfless love that calls us to step into battle. I woke up a few days ago and the Lord gave me this image across my mind of the body of Christ on a battlefield. And across this battlefield, there were all different types of soldiers. Some of them were in really, really rough shape. Some of them had no armor on whatsoever. Some of them had put their armor on, but because of wounds or trials or various things that had happened, their armor was dented and rusted and in really rough repair. There were some soldiers on the battlefield that were fully armed and ready to do what God had asked, and they were fighting off the enemy in a really beautiful, healthy way. But the thing that disturbed me most about that image was that they were very isolated on the battlefield. You see, the image that I had had very few people standing on the battlefield that God has called us to actually ready and prepared to do what he has asked of us. There were some soldiers on that battlefield who were wearing partial armor. So they had a breastplate on that was covering up their heart, but they didn't have a helmet on. And I saw that as those of us who have accepted what Jesus has done for us and given him our heart, but we have not given him our minds. And so we allow the lies of the enemy to mess with our heads on a regular basis. We've given our heart to Jesus, but we haven't given him our thought process. We haven't given him our emotional aspects and fully submitted all of that to him. Some soldiers on this battlefield had on the wrong armor. What do I mean by that? I liken it to my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Doherty. She was a unique individual, and she showed up to school one morning with two different shoes on. Some of you might have done this before. You're getting dressed in the dark, and you grab two shoes that are similar, and you leave the house, and you didn't even realize you did it. I can understand how that could happen. The problem with Mrs. Doherty is that she came into school with one flat and one heel. How does that happen? 
I don't know. <laughs> and the best part is she didn't even realize that she had done it until we had pointed it out to her. And I think that looks like the body of Christ in many regards as well. Because the enemy presents things that look similar to him, but they are a twisted version of it. And they're just enough like Jesus, they're just enough like what the word of God says, that when we see it, because we have some knowledge of what his word says, we fall into the lie and we believe it and we take that for ourselves as if we were meant to carry that. Some of these soldiers that had on the wrong armor, they were trying to wear armor that did not belong to them. You see, in the army, everybody's armor is fitted specifically for them. And a soldier knows their position, their rank, their place, their influence, and their significance in the battlefield. And it would be ridiculous for a cook in the army to try to be a bomb expert. We would, not, we would not want that to happen. I mean, if my life is in danger and I have a bomb in front of me, I don't want them to send in the cook, right? And yet, let's be real, we do that in the body of Christ all the time. We covet the gift that God has given to somebody else or the way we perceive the gift that God has given to somebody else and all of a sudden we want that calling, we want that gifting, we want their life. And so we try to put on armor that God never intended for us to wear. And when we try to wear armor that God didn't intend for us to wear, we can't move at the pace and with the agility that we were intended to. Ancient battles weren't like a mash all the action figures together, crazy chaotic type of war. They were very methodical. In combat, they were placed in regular sections of soldiers in lines and columns. They marched in formation. And because every soldier recognized their position and their place, their title, their rank, their importance, they wouldn't ever try to step into a position that they weren't called to do. The reality is that the battle that we are fighting has actually already been won. We have been given the victory we are assured of our salvation. We've read the end of the book and we know what he's accomplished. We know of his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. We have it in black and white before us. So the reason that we are on a battlefield isn't because the battle hasn't been won, it's because the battle is for the people who need to come and be a part of his army with us. You see, that's the selfless love that compels us to be a part of the army of God that he is calling us to, to be prepared and ready for battle. And when we walk in the victory that we know that he has given us, and we grab hold of the selfless love that he has already paid for us, then stepping into that position, knowing what our rank, our title, and our place is in that battle, doesn't feel so hard because we already know that he's accomplished the victory on our behalf. And it's that selfless love that compels us to bring as many people as we can along on the journey. You see, I believe when we shift our perspective to recognize that we're in a battle during our time here on earth, rather than living with the expectation that because now that we've accepted Christ, life is going to be easy, 
it makes it a lot easier to move forward. You see, some of us have this expectation that because I've accepted Christ, life should be simple and I shouldn't have to go through these trials. But the reality is that this world is not our home. And as long as we are on this earth, there is a spiritual battle that is happening. We were made for heaven. And that joy is coming. But while we're here on this earth, there's an internal joy that he has already promised us. There's a peace that we can walk in. We're gonna spend our time together today in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and the people of Judah were charged with rebuilding a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And we see throughout the first several chapters, it says that the gracious hand of God was on Nehemiah. God gave him favor with the king and it said that the Lord strengthened their hands for the work that was before them. Now with all this favor that God had already provided to Nehemiah in rebuilding the wall, it would have been easy to fall into the mindset that if God has called us to build the wall and he has already given us all of this favor, then this should be easy. God asked us to do it, so if God asked me to do something, then he's just gonna take care of everything and it's gonna be simple and I'm just gonna get to walk right into it but we have a real enemy, do we not? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter four, we're gonna start at verse seven. It says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. They were called by God to do a task. And we can see throughout the chapters prior to this that Nehemiah led the people with a posture of prayer. In fact, if you open up Nehemiah chapter one, you'll see a beautiful intercession that actually took place over the course of four months. Nehemiah was on his knees interceding before he even began the process of asking for permission to rebuild the wall. So Nehemiah was a man of prayer, and he was a man of faith. Being a man of prayer and a man of faith did not exclude him from the trial. It just prepared him for it. Their response was not to shrink back in the face of opposition or forget what God had asked of them, but they were ready to press on, prepared for battle. Verse 16 says, from that day on, Half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building and the trumpeter was beside me. I love this visual image of the men doing the work that God called them to do while still being ready for the enemy. They didn't allow the fear of what the enemy would do in his attack to prevent them from moving forward, from accomplishing what their task was, what God had asked of them and called them to do. They didn't shrink back in fear and pretend that trouble wasn't a possibility. They didn't stick their head in the sand and pretend like nothing was going to happen. They had a posture that said, I will keep working 
and be prepared at the same time. Number one is be prepared. Their preparedness ended up preventing an attack. Verse 15 says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. Because the enemy recognized that they were prepared, they didn't bother to attack. And you know, one of the biggest tools the enemy uses is deception. This is why he is known as the father of lies. And we often think of the enemy's deception as being focused on the world to prevent them from following Christ. But the reality is that the enemy already has the world. They're already in line with him, so he doesn't have to work to deceive them. So instead, he focuses his efforts oftentimes on trying to deceive the body of Christ. And it's not apparent to us most of the time because he's not looking to try to pull us fully away from serving the Lord. He's just trying to get us to believe distortions of the truth so that we are less effective. Because he recognizes for most of us that we've already acknowledged who God is and that our faith in who he is is not going to change, that we've already fully committed to him. So the deception is keeping us from living a powerful, effective life that is attractive to the unbeliever. And oftentimes that deception within the body of Christ has us spending so much time fighting within the body of Christ, focused on each other, focused on the sister on your right or your left, that you don't even have time to think about what God would be asking you to do outside of these four walls because your mind is so focused on what's happening inside these four walls. If we recognized the lies for what they are, then we would be way less likely to be deceived by them. Luke 10, 19, Jesus tells us, look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. So let me ask you this. If Jesus has given us all power over the enemy, what does that leave him with? Absolutely nothing. He's got absolutely nothing but lies. He has no power or authority over you or your circumstances because he's already been defeated. And the only thing he can do is try to keep us from living in the victory that we actually have already been given. If he can get us to believe that we're defeated in any area of our lives, then we lose our effectiveness. But when we have full revelation of the victory that we have already been given in him because of the price that was paid and because of his great love for us, we move mountains. So how do we keep from being deceived by the enemy? We can't just know the word of God because even the Pharisees knew the word of God and they knew the word of God better than most. And I would also say that Satan knows the word of God and he knows it better than most of us do. So it isn't just about having knowledge of who he is, but it is allowing that knowledge to bring fresh revelation to our spirit so that we are changed. 
If we just keep attaining knowledge of who he is, but we don't have fresh revelation of how that knowledge applies to our lives, and we don't allow that to bring about a Holy Spirit-inspired change, then we are going to fall into the lies, the trap of the lies that the enemy wants to give us. It takes work and intentionality, and it requires us to move from milk to solid food. Hebrews 5 Verse 12 says this, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. You see, oftentimes in the church, we will serve Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years and still be on milk and not move to solid food. And it, it would seem ridiculous to us in the natural to be 25, 30, 35, 40 years of age and still be going home every night so mom can feed us so that we can be spoon-fed. And yet, spiritually speaking, We've gotten really comfortable with that. And we oftentimes fully rely on the pastor on Sunday morning to give us the only spiritual nutrition that we receive throughout our week. But in this verse, it says, those who, whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil, the word trained comes from the word gymnazo. And it means exert intensely like a pro athlete. It presumes full discipline necessary to be in top working condition, full agility, skill, or endurance. This is gained only from constant, rigorous training or exercise, and it conveys acquiring proficiency through practice, regular exercise with graduated resistance. I cannot stress enough to you the importance of being in his word on a daily basis, moving from milk to solid food, grabbing hold of that word and not just going, even not just going through your soap as something on your to-do list and just checking it off, but asking God, what fresh revelation does he have for you in this chapter? and refusing to get up until he gives you something. Refusing to move on. Do you know how many times I have read a book and because my mind and my heart aren't in it, I have to reread the same chapter like four times? <laughs> we can do the same thing with scripture. We can pull out our Bible and we can read the chapter, check, did my soap, yep, I'm a good little Christian. But that comes more to knowledge rather than to fresh revelation of what he wants to do. Knowing what his word says will prevent an attack from the enemy, but it's also gonna help us fight the biggest any enemy that many of us face, and that's our very own minds. <laughs> because sometimes the biggest battle we deal with in any given day is right up here. And some of us get so stuck in our own heads that we live by our feelings and our emotions rather than by the truth of what his word says. But the problem with living by feelings and emotions is they're not constant or consistent. They are constantly changing. 
but his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character doesn't change. What he is asking of us in regards to obedience and in line with his word will not change. 2 Corinthians 10, three through five says this, for although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Catch this last part. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Every thought, ladies, every thought. And there's a lot of them throughout the day. But particularly when something passes through your mind and it tries to take root, take it captive, grab hold of it, does it line up with his word? Is it in line with what he says about you? About who he says you are? And if not, replace it with the truth of what his word says. We can move on to solid food and stop being tossed around by our emotions. And even if being prepared doesn't prevent the attack from actually happening, it will give us the tools we need when the attack comes. So how are you currently preparing yourself for battle? Are you in the word? Are you allowing it to change you? Are you meditating on who he says you are rather than rather than on being moved by your emotions and your feelings. Number two, we must overcome discouragement. Oftentimes in the battle, we end up getting discouraged by what we actually see in front of us. The enemy looks formidable, the mountain seems too high, but we have a decision to make regarding what we are going to believe. Are we going to believe what we see with our physical eyes? Or are we going to believe what we know God's word says about our circumstances? Nehemiah 6, verses 8 and 9 says, Then I replied to him, There is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, God, strengthen my hands. There were people that were coming against Nehemiah and his men in an attempt just to discourage, just to speak lies over their circumstances. But Nehemiah knew who his God was. And see, he spoke truth to the circumstances. He didn't allow discouragement to set in. He didn't buy into the lie that was spoken over him. Instead, he spoke the truth over it and chose to believe the truth rather than give in to the deception. There are often going to be negative voices in our lives that speak to the size or difficulty of a situation. And they're going to have you believing that what God has asked you to do, you can't do. 
that you're not strong enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not able enough. Well, guess what? You might not be, but he is. And so are we going to speak to the difficulty of our situation or are we going to speak to the size of our God? He's always enough. During the Vietnam War, Colonel Norman Schwarzkopf was sent to take over command of a battalion position near the front lines. The troops were demoralized, they were unprepared for battle, and casualties were very high. And the outgoing commander had absolutely nothing good to say about his troops or their combat performance. So Schwarzkopf chose to begin encouraging the men. He began to speak life over them. He began to believe in them. And over time, their morale rose, and they were like a completely different unit. They started to experience fewer casualties. And a message was later intercepted from the enemy, indicating that they assumed a much tougher and more highly skilled unit had replaced the previous inept one. Same people, different attitude and posture. Our words carry tremendous weight and power. Their talents, gifts, and abilities were not changed by the words spoken over them. Just what they believed about themselves was. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Research has shown that hurt feelings from words affect the same area in the brain as a broken bone or a physical injury. Isn't that crazy? That our words can actually have a physical reaction in our body like a broken bone. But it is also shown that loving words can help heal and rewire this pain. Okay, are there words that were spoken over you that you have believed rather than allowing the truth of God's word to take root? There were so many words spoken over to me in my childhood in fact, the only dream that I actually remember was a recurring one where we were on a cruise ship and my entire family was trying to throw me all overboard because there were so many lies and mistruths spoken over who I was and my character. And truth was not spoken in our home. but I'm not defined by those words. They're not who make me who I am. I am defined by what the word of God says about me. And so those words that as a child held so much power over me, Jesus came and broke those chains off. And so some of you, you will leave this place and you will go home and you will have a spouse or a mother or a sibling who is still speaking lies over you. That's not who you are. That's not what he thinks of you. In fact, you were created in his image. You are an image bearer of Jesus Christ. And he thinks good thoughts towards you. You can believe that. You can bank on that. You can stand on that. Nehemiah overcame discouragement in his circumstances by speaking truth to his situation rather than believing the lies that were spoken over him. 
Number three, walk in wisdom and discernment. The word discern means to closely examine through the process of careful study, evaluation, and judgment. Discernment is the ability to properly make determinations by the wisdom that comes only through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says this, but the natural, unbelieving man does not accept the things, the teachings, and revelations of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness, absurd, and illogical to him. And he is incapable of understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciated. And he is unqualified to judge spiritual matters. But the spiritual man, the spiritually mature Christian, pause here for a minute. This is what we talked about just a few minutes ago, moving from milk to solid food. Discernment comes in a greater capacity as we move from milk to solid food, as we are in his word, as we are allowing it to have fresh revelation to our spirit. If you want to walk in discernment in your life, step into spiritual maturity and trust that God will bring it in his time. But the spiritual man, the spiritually mature Christian judges all things, questions, examines, and applies what the Holy Spirit reveals, yet is himself judged by no one. The unbeliever cannot judge and understand the believer's spiritual nature, for who has known the mind and purposes of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and purposes. We've been given the mind of Christ, ladies, and that often means that the things that he is going to to ask of us or direct us to do are not going to make sense to our natural minds. There are plenty of things that he will ask of us that he will speak over us. He might ask us to reach out to a neighbor we've never met before and we're gonna feel like we're crazy. How could I just go knock on their door? Trust that you've been given the mind of Christ. As you step into spiritual maturity, it says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. And as you begin to hear his voice, listen and obey, your discernment will increase. You're going to recognize his voice quicker and faster when he speaks to you. And also recognize that with that, as you walk that out in obedience, he's going to be able to trust you more. And when he can trust you more, he's going to give you more. He's going to give you more opportunities to walk in that, to walk in obedience, and to be a blessing to those that he brings across your path. Nehemiah 6, 12, and 13 says, I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated, do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. It took a high level of discernment for Nehemiah to recognize that they were trying to deceive him. But he knew the truth. He had spent time in God's presence, so when the lie came, he was able to quickly discern that it was a lie. He recognized it for what he was and he was not deceived. Knowing God's word and hearing God's voice are critical in the battle. 
and, we know what the, and when we know what the word of God says and when we listen to his voice leading and guiding us, we will be prepared to respond appropriately when difficulty and challenging circumstances arise. As I wrap this up, Nehemiah and the people built the wall under stressful circumstances and constant threat of harm. But it is also true that they did get the wall built just as God directed. They finished it in record time and they continued to garner the favor of various kings in command. So the result of Nehemiah being prepared, overcoming discouragement, and walking in wisdom and discernment is that he completed his assignment and he ultimately won the battle. And we can see their posture before the Lord when they had the victory. Verses chapter 8, 17 and 18 says, the whole community that had returned from exile made shelters and lived in them. The Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day. And there was tremendous joy. Tremendous joy. Our reality may be that we're in a spiritual battle during our time here on earth. And for many of us, that thought is terrifying. Because nobody says, please sign me up to do battle. That's not the posture we typically take. But the reality is that God has called us to be his ambassadors here on this earth. And because we have experienced his incredible, unselfish love, we have the blessing and the opportunity to pay that forward. It says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What is he asking you to do in this season for the joy that is set before you? Because the joy that is set before us is heaven and there's gonna be no sorrow and there's gonna be no pain and there's gonna be no sickness. Heaven's gonna be amazing. But the reality is that there are things that we get to offer him now as we carry out this battle and as we bring people along with us on the journey that we won't get to offer him in heaven. Who are you gonna win to Christ in heaven? There won't be need. So for this limited time that we have been given to accomplish God's purpose on this earth, are you ready for battle? Are you ready to put on the full armor of God? Put on your helmet. Bring your thoughts, your will, and emotions in line with him. Take out the sword of the spirit and be ready to do battle. Oftentimes we have this sword. And if you don't know this in scripture, the sword is referred to as the word of God. And we use it defensively to ward off an attack. Like, oh, nope gotta protect myself, but the reality is is that a sword is an offensive weapon, and we are to go after the lies, not just use it to protect ourselves. Are you using the word of God to go after the lies that you have believed for too long? Are you using it offensively 
to accomplish what God has for you. Are you ready for battle? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity, Jesus, to do your work and your will on this earth. And I pray, Lord, that you would prepare each and every one of our hearts to do the work that you have called us. Jesus, it is our privilege to be your ambassadors and to move your kingdom forward so that more people can know you. So Lord, position our hearts so that you can be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.